scripture passage that we'll have and consider this morning from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. Hear now God's holy word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, and your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, so far, the reading of God's word, may his Holy Spirit write it upon our hearts. Well, it is no secret that good communication is a key to a healthy marriage. Yes. Uh, one author, David Brooks, he says this, the quality of the conversation is the quality of the marriage. Good conversation creates warmth and peace, whereas bad conversation creates frigidity and stasis. stasis. Conversation is how marriage partners rub off each other. And I found this to be very true for my wife and for me. Uh, and fortunately, God has blessed us with good conversation. We have found that cultivating meaningful conversation together in our marriage is absolutely essential to protecting and sealing the union that we have before God. But if you think about it, this doesn't only apply to marriage, does it? Well, it applies to every relationship. Honest, authentic, and respectful conversation is the glue between best friends and the bond between parents and children. And if you think about this, your best friends, are they not those people? Those few people that you can sit down with and you can skip past all the superficial talk, the small talk. You can get right past that and immediately get to what's on your heart. You can share with them whatever your joys and your burdens are freely in trust and confidence. I think it's safe to say that the quality of conversation marks the quality of every relationship we have. And if that is true, let me ask you this. What is the quality of your relationship with God? And to answer that question, we have to ask the second question. What is the quality of your conversation? With God. In other words, are you in regular, authentic, honest, and respectful communication with the Lord your God, your Creator? 
in prayer with God? Are you able to skip past the small talk and open up your heart to Him and trust Him with a willingness to listen to Him as well? But I know these are difficult questions. It might make you feel in some ways uncomfortable to even ask or consider that question. But that's okay. It should make us uncomfortable. Why? Well, because none of us have perfected our relationship with God. None of us have perfected our prayer life with God. None of us have fully arrived. We're all on our way in our journey at different mile markers along the way. Some of us are further along the path than others, having years of walking with Jesus, whereas others are just starting off in their journey to know God. But we must all cultivate meaningful conversation with God in prayer. It is an essential thing. It is not optional. As John Calvin said, he says that praying for a Christian is like breathing for a creature. It is essential. It is not optional. My favorite description of prayer comes from the second century, the second century from Clement of Alexandria, who called prayer this. He said, prayer is keeping company with God. Keeping company with God. And in light of that description, Eugene Peterson says that the role of a pastor is to teach the people how to pray. To guide them back into fellowship with God, to commune with Him. And I think deep down, this is what we all want. This is what we all long for because this is what we were made for. This is what humanity had in the beginning, right? There in Genesis 1 through 3, we find God speaking directly, personally, to Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden. And for some unknown period of time, we find that humans kept company with God. Amazing. They were with Him, and they heard His voice just as clearly as you hear mine now. They were with God. Their whole life was that of prayer, regular, authentic conversation with their Creator in His presence. But then as we know, right, Adam and Eve turned away from God's Word. That trust was broken entirely. And now that intimate communication with God has grown cold, stagnant, distant. How can we ever get back to keeping company with God again? Well, that's what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage today, in this text, in a way We find Jesus through his word coming to us. He's coming to you today, grabbing you by the hand and taking you to his father. Jesus is reinitiating the conversation for us. He is reintroducing us to our creator. He is showing us how to keep company with God in prayer. And all we have to do is follow his lead by faith. And he leads us in four ways, four ways today. First, Jesus shows us That in prayer, your audience is God, not man. Your audience is God, not man. Jesus says in verse 5, basically, don't be like those people who pray publicly so that they may be seen by others. He's referring in this text to those religious leaders of his day that prayed out loud in the street corners and in public avenues, etc., to be seen by people, to get that praise from others. Uh, Nowadays, we might compare this to those people who on social media or on television 
record their religious piety, their prayers, and publicize it and post it on social media for the world to see. Well, Jesus is calling them out. He's calling, it, he's calling them out directly. He calls them out for their pretentious display of piety in order to impress other people. God doesn't want us to put on a show when we pray. That's what Jesus is saying here. But it's always a temptation, right, when we're in front of people to seek their approval and their affirmation, whether it's in sports or in a, in a school, in your classroom, or in your job before your colleagues. It's so tempting to try and put on a show before other people because it feels nice, right? It feels nice to be praised and celebrated by other people. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says that they have their reward. Well, the immediate reward is that, that you get, when you perform in front of others, you get a few likes on Instagram, a few pats on the back, a few compliments. That's it. It's empty praise. It's not ultimately satisfying in the end. Why? Well, because that's not what we were made for. Jesus is saying that is not the purpose of prayer at all. If that's what you want, man's praise, then that's all you get. But if that's what you seek, then you're missing what's most important, what prayer is all about, which is having real fellowship with God. You see, Jesus, he's not interested in all, at all in teaching us how to impress people, how to entertain people. He could care less about that. He is interested in teaching us how to actually talk with God in a loving and trusting relationship with him. And so instead of praying to be heard by people, Jesus tells us in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is the first lesson that we find here. Your audience in prayer is God, not man, not people. So go to God in prayer, and he will be there. As James says in his letter, he gives us this great promise that Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. It is a promise. He will meet us when we go to Him in prayer. So what if people see you or not? As Jesus says here, God sees you in secret. God sees you. That's what matters. It's God's loving gaze upon us that we should seek, not man's empty praise, because it is God's reward that we should want and desire. What reward does God give us? Well, Jesus doesn't spell it out here, but it is the best reward that God gives us. His love, his affection, his peace, his comfort, his joy, his presence with us, both now here in this life in measures more and more as we seek him in prayer and in the future in glory we will have it, that reward, his presence in its fullness. As King David says in the Psalms, he says that God will make your cup overflow because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what God rewards us with when we go to him in prayer. His own heart, his own love, his affection, his presence. And so as Jesus grabs your hand, he's telling you, I'm going to take you to my father. Just talk to him. Don't worry about other people who might be listening because your audience is with God, not with man. Secondly, Jesus tells us how to pray in this way, saying, 
that we are to pour out our hearts to God. Pour out our hearts. In verse 7 through 8, Jesus is basically saying, don't think that God is impressed by your eloquence or mindless, repetitive phrases that you might lift up to God in prayer. He's not impressed. He's not amused. We don't need to earn his attention and keep it. He's not like, as you might have seen on some of those movies, a, a medieval king who's sitting in his throne room and he's bored and he's calling in jesters and poets and orators trying to find someone that's going to entertain him, someone that's going to capture his attention. Ah, that is not, that is not our God at all. His attention is already there fully for us. That's why Martin Luther, he says it so powerfully, he says, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. God's not reluctant to hear you. He's willing to hear you. He wants to hear you. And prayer is just laying a hold of that willingness. We don't have to perform in order to win God's attention. He is already willing to give us all of his attention. Besides, as Jesus tells us here in this text, he already knows everything you need before you ask him in prayer. So there's no reason to couch your prayer with a bunch of fluff. No. Just tell him. Speak to him. Well, what does he want then? If he doesn't want this fluff, this eloquence, mindless, repetitive phrases, what does he want from us in prayer? He wants us to pour our hearts out to him like water. And we find this in Psalm 62, verse 8, where it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart before him. A beautiful illustration. In other words, tell him what is on your heart. That's what he's asking for us in prayer. You know, sometimes I see my boy coming home from school when I pick him up, and I can tell. I can tell that his heart is troubled. I can see it in his face. His little heart is heavy. Something happened at school, and I want to know what it is. As his dad, I want him to trust me. I want him to open up to me, to share with me what happened so that I can help him process it, so that I can embrace him with my love and comfort him. I want him to let me into his heart instead of putting up walls and pushing me away or acting like everything is okay. Loved ones, that is what God the Father wants from you. Not to put up walls, not to push him away, not to act like everything's okay. No, to pour out your heart to him in prayer. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, the Puritan, he said it this way, In all your prayers, let your heart be without words, rather than your words without heart. Beautifully put. And this was part of the problem with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He was critiquing. They prayed with a lot of words, but without heart. As Jesus said elsewhere, they praised, them, they praised God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. And so as Jesus brings us to his Father, he's saying to us, don't worry about trying to impress him. Just tell him what's on your heart, because prayer, that's what it is. It's pouring out your heart to God in prayer. Thirdly, Jesus tells us throughout this passage to trust in God. Throughout the passage, he's telling us something very important, super important about keeping company with God. When we pray, 
We do not address some distant, abstract, impersonal deity. No. Jesus is bringing us directly to his Father who is personal, caring, affectionate. He who is the powerful king and righteous judge of all the universe and all the nations. He's also our Father because of Jesus. Only if we go to him through his Son by faith. And this is so important because, as many of you probably know, trust, trust is foundational to good conversation. What do I mean? I mean this. You only fully open up to those few people that you fully trust, right? There are those few people that you share it all with them. All of your struggles, all of your problems, all your pains, everything that's on your heart. And why? Because you trust them. You trust that they will not break that confidence with you. That they will not turn their back to you and tell that to other people. You trust them and so you share with them. And Jesus is showing us that we can have that full assurance that God is our Father. And like a father, he delights in hearing his children talk to him and sharing with them all that's on their heart. Just like we as parents, like I love to hear it when my boys talk to me. How much more does God love it when we talk to him in prayer? Also, Jesus wants us to trust that God the Father, he knows what is best for his children, and he will give it to us. John Calvin writes, God grants our prayer even when he does not comply with our wishes. He is attentive and kindly to our prayers so that hope relying upon his word will never disappoint us. This means that we can trust that every time we pray to God and ask for something, we can trust that he hears us and that he will give us exactly what we need. Often not exactly what we ask for, but always what we need. As Jesus says here, he knows what you need before you ask him. Not only does God know what, with his omniscience, everything you're going to ask, not only does he have that foreknowledge, but he knows what you need before you ask it, is what Jesus is saying. And he loves you as your child, and he will give you what you need. As he goes on to say in chapter 7, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If we who are sinners, who have wickedness in our hearts, are good enough to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will God our Father who is perfect in goodness give us exactly what we need when we ask him? And so we find that as Jesus leads us to his Father, he's basically saying this, don't be afraid to open up to him. I know maybe you've been hurt by others in life who've broken your trust. But my Father, He is good. He is faithful. He is loving. He will safeguard your heart. And everything you give to Him, He will keep in confidence. So when you have an audience with Him, pour out your heart before Him and trust in His goodness. But now as Jesus pulls us ever closer to the Father, you might be thinking, I still don't know what to say when I come into his presence. 
I don't know exactly what words to bring before him. And that leads us to our last lesson. First, listen. And second, keep it simple. I say first listen because this is the key to conversation. You don't, uh, you don't want to be that kind of person in, in your conversations, in your life, who is a conversational narcissist, who is a me monster, who, as he's talking with another person, is always referring to himself and stories about him and what's happening in his life and just me, 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 me. You don't want to be that person with other people, much less with God. We have to learn how to listen to other people, and we have to learn how to listen to God in prayer. And so we need to realize that God has, he always has the first word in this conversation. For example, he spoke us into being at the beginning of creation. His word is also continually upholding all of creation around us, sustaining all that exists, which is why Eugene Peterson says we must restore prayer to its context in God's Word. Prayer is not something that we think up in order to get God's attention or enlist His favor. Prayer is answering speech. The first word is God's Word. And this is so liberating. In reality, it's liberating, especially for people who might have a quiet disposition, who might be introverted, who are afraid to initiate conversation with other people. How is it liberating? Well, you don't have to start this conversation with God. He has already spoken, and His Word is here for us in the Bible. And it is not a dead letter. It is living and active, as the author of Hebrews says. By the Holy Spirit, we encounter the person of God as we read and meditate on His Word, listening to His voice speak to us with clarity from His Word. And so Jesus would have us enter the conversation first with our ears, listening to the Father, reading and meditating on the Word of God, which always comes first. And then Jesus guides us in in another way as we respond to God's Word in prayer. He tells us here in this passage to keep it simple. Keep it simple. He says, pray like this, and then he provides for us a short and sweet template for our prayer life, for our conversation with the Father. It's simple and yet it's profound because in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we find all that we should pray for here recorded for us. It's concise and to the point. I was thinking about my closest relationships that I have, like with my wife and with my parents and my friends, and I thought, you know, I never, when I go to talk to them, I never have a verbose monologue with them. I don't just start talking in a monologue to my wife or to my parents or friends. No. Everyday conversations with loved ones, they're filled with brief back-and-forth remarks and responses, right? That's how we communicate with each other on a daily basis. And so, too, our conversation with the Father in prayer should not be a long monologue, but rather a continual back-and-forth communication in His Word and in prayer with Him. That means that throughout the day we are reading or meditating on God's written word and then briefly responding in prayer. So think of it in this way, that it is better to talk with God briefly and often than rarely and in long monologues. Right? That makes sense. Briefly and often instead of rarely with long monologues. 
Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't spend some time in, in long conversation with God, our Father. Clearly, we should, but Jesus is laying out for, here, for us here a simple pattern of prayer for our regular prayer life that ought to be short and sweet, continual, back and forth as we're reading, meditating on his word, and responding throughout the day in prayer. So listen and keep it simple. Now I hope you see how Jesus, in this text, through this text, he's bringing us to his Father to talk with him, to trust him enough to pour out our hearts before him. This is how we keep company with God, according to Jesus. And loved ones, don't resist his leading. Because he does not lead us to the Father casually. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth for this purpose. In order to bring us back into fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he did that with a cost. He died to give you eternal audience with the Father in his presence. With his blood, he purchased your audience with God. And we have to realize as well that for a time, the father broke company with his son. He had eternal fellowship with the father. Eternal back and forth communication of love and trust. And then Christ on the cross was cut off. Separated from the father as he bore our sins on the cross and died in our place. Why? Why did the father break company with the son? In order to keep company with you. You who are a mortal creature. That is amazing. That is incredible. Jesus is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. His life, death, and resurrection are God's greatest communication of love to us. Now this is the the last point here. The last thing that we should take in. That Jesus in this text, he's not just teaching us how to talk to God. Jesus is God talking to us. In Jesus, we see God pouring out his heart to us in love. We find God holding nothing back in communication with us. He's giving us all that he has in Jesus and inviting us to respond with faith, to receive his word, to receive his son, to trust in Jesus and trusting in him, he will bring us to the Father by his Spirit to keep company with God both now and forevermore. What a joy. What a privilege we have in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice not only that Jesus has taught us how to pray, but that we find in Jesus your communication of love to us. That your word came first. You spoke us into being, and then again, through your Son, you have caused us to be born again. And you've brought us back into fellowship with you. Lord, we ask you to guide us by your Spirit through these teachings from Jesus to seek your audience, to pour out our heart to you, to trust you, to listen and keep it simple day by day. Lord, restore our relationship with you through prayer, by your Son, through the power of your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Loved ones, let's sing it.